We're in Romans chapter 15. If you've got your Bibles, please do turn there with me. Uh, We'll be reading it shortly as we continue looking at Paul's gospel from faith for faith. He is a missionary. He is a man sold out for the gospel. He was a man who was previously uh, a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was a persecutor of the church. He was a guardian of Judaism as he saw it and opposed to uh, the man of sorrows, opposed to the way, uh, the fulfillment, God's fulfillment of all his promises, not only to Israel or or, or the, the ethnic Israel, the state of Israel, but also to all those who he would save, all the Gentiles. Today's message, uh, as we read, hopefully you'll make this connection uh, from the text. Uh, I've entitled it, the, the Servant King's Servant People. The Servant King's Servant People. Jesus is a servant king. He came to serve us. He came to serve us in a way we couldn't help ourselves by dying on the cross but also by making an example that we would follow, that we would enter in through his cross and then follow with lives of service and sacrifice as we follow him joyfully, knowing his peace in a world which does not. And so that's the reality this morning. And this should excite us because the world in which we live is in a right state, isn't it? Nobody could try and paint a rosy picture. It doesn't matter what politician you get to stand up in front of you or which spin doctor writes your speech. We, we had not long ago at the, the party conferences, didn't we? Conservatives first and then Labour. It doesn't matter who writes the speech, there's not a lot of gloss that you can put on the current situation. Not just here in this country, but globally. And yet, it's head in the sand time for so many people, isn't it? It's, doctor, please increase my prescription time for so many. When we can come to the Lord Jesus Christ, we can come and find peace. We can come and find healing. We can come and be made whole. We can come and know fullness of joy. Whatever's going on out there, our sister Kripa's daughter lives in northern Israel. She works in a hospital where the patients are now in the basement bunker fearing reprisals from Hezbollah. Yet she can know the joy of Christ. She can go about her business confident of her destination. Hallelujah. And so can you. As the world around us crumbles and fractures and reveals itself to be devoid of hope, we, the Church of Christ, ought to be emboldened because we have a message to take out. We ought not to be characterised by the same kind of fear and hopelessness as we see around us. Though it's easy, isn't it, to be drawn in to such attitudes as we are relentlessly bombarded by godless culture and viewpoints from every direction. From the media, both on our TV screens and on our phones, on the internet. From many of our employers or work environments. 
among our many acquaintances and day-to-day people that we meet. There's a constant drip, 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 drip of negativity, isn't there? Hopelessness and despair. This doom and despair is growing. And also, much more concerning, alongside that, hatred towards our fellow human beings. It's been all too easy this week, depending on which narrative we've been listening to, to fall into the pro-Israel or the pro-Palestinian camp, isn't it? Right? The media would like us to align with one or other of those. Right? The media wants us to, wants to stoke all the animosity that it can muster. Well, who do you support? Who do you support? Who do you lean towards? Friends, we should lean towards Christ. Because the reality is, uh, rather like the commander in the Lord's army in Joshua chapter 5, when Joshua, obviously Joshua was leading the people of Israel, wasn't he? Against God's enemies. Right? Joshua asked this commander, this fearsome commander of the Lord's army, whose side do you want? Expecting him to say what? Well, yours, of course, Joshua. What does he say? No. Take off the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Friends, God is omnipresent. He is everywhere. This is his creation. He is holy. And he will hold every last person to account who commits atrocities, whatever badge they've got on their uniform. And I say that as a British man. Friends, do we realise that we are constantly in the presence of Lord, the Lord Almighty? I think if we and our fellow human beings realise each day that God is omnipresent, that he's watching everything that we do, and he does not need to sleep. A lot of people think God's asleep, don't they? God must be napping, because look at the state of the world. God's not napping, folks. God is keeping uh, a perfect record of everything that is going on. He knows full well. What is going on is a result of sinful human hearts. Sinful rebels who've taken it, taken it upon themselves to know better than God. That is why the world is in the mess it's in. And God allows us to reveal the fruit of unrighteousness. Why? So that his perfect righteousness is so much better and is undeniable. If we realise that he is omnipresent, he's watching everything, he does not need to sleep, then this might affect the way that we live. This might affect the way that you live. The way that I live. The way we treat one another. The way we so easily brush people aside. Our brother, the Apostle Paul, he certainly believe this and he continues in his letter to the church at Rome encouraging and exhorting them to live out their calling as those who have been saved 
Those who are being sanctified by Christ, the Saviour. Because friends, today is the day. There is no time like the present. If you're fearful about what's going on in the world, right, the headlines in the press should give you some kind of clue, right? The world holds its breath, right? How much longer have we got before someone somewhere pushes a button? There's no time like now, friends. Maybe you've got a busy week coming up, but trust me, it's not too busy to put Christ first. All right? We're here to live out our calling as those who have been saved, who are being sanctified. The church has been called to action. Not complacency or timidity. So let us rise with the sun each day. Looking to him. Rejoicing. Not despairing. Following him. And not our heart's delusions. Let's read Romans from Romans chapter 15, verse 1. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please his neighbour for his good, to build him up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. So that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus. So that with one heart and mouth, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another, then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, to confirm the promises made to the patriarchs, so that the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy, as it is written. Paul continues to quote scripture. Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing hymns to your name. Again it says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and sing praises to him, all you peoples. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. The Gentiles will hope in him. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I myself am convinced, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, complete in knowledge and competent to instruct one another. I've written to you quite boldly on some points, as if to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, with the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God, so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified 
by the Holy Spirit. What a wonderful text today. We give thanks to God. May he help us as we go through it. If you're taking notes, there's three P's this morning. I like to keep the points to the point and short, all right? That's why I choose single words where I can, okay? Don't always, but where I can. So today we're going to look at, first of all, pleasure, all right? What's your pleasure and what's God's pleasure? And are they increasingly the same? Firstly, pleasure. Secondly, perseverance. Right? Who needs perseverance? Yeah, one, two, three, four, five. Yeah, hopefully all your hands. Both hands. I need double perseverance at the moment with with Yoru, you know, the the beautiful furball we've got next door. (laughs) Such a blessing in many ways. Uh, so perseverance and then finally practice okay practice when I say practice I don't mean you know like you're not really doing it I mean practice as in how do you live your life what's your practice day by day what's your practice when you go to the workplace what's your practice uh, with your family at home right pleasure perseverance and practice So first of all, pleasure. This is the first uh, broad point that Paul is making here. Uh, Having spoken at some length about the way uh, that we as a church are to behave towards one another, uh, that's what we've been looking at as we looked at uh, chapters 12, 13 and 14. Um, The strong bearing with the weak and neither the weak or the strong to judge the other group uh, we're to do everything in humility under Christ for the benefit and the building up of the other and of the whole church. We are too well schooled and practiced, aren't we, in tearing down and belittling others. That's something else that we pick up from the culture around us. It's something else we pick up from the tabloid press. All right? Uh, and our unbelieving work colleagues, yeah? How to snipe at one another. If that's you this morning, then repent and reconcile with your brothers and sisters. Instead, we are to consider the pleasure of others above and beyond that of our own, says Paul. Right? Not only in the church, but outside the church. How can we please others? This doesn't mean that we conform to their agenda. This doesn't mean that we like embrace their ideology. right? We're not trying to please them in that way. We're trying to lead them into true pleasure, knowing Christ, true fulfillment. All right? That's what it means. We should consider the pleasure of others above and beyond that of our own. Of course, if we are each living this hour, right? You might you might be sat there thinking, "Hold on, if I just spent my whole life concentrating on the pleasure of others, I would never have any pleasure." Well, no. If we're all doing it, right? 
Look how many other people there are around you. If all those other people are looking after your pleasure, right? You're certainly going to have some pleasure in life, right? So look after the pleasure of others, all right? We will be recipients of great and continuing blessings as our brothers and sisters in the Lord. They shower their affection and generosity upon us. Friends, I have no doubt that if you are an active part of this fellowship, all right, for some of you that might be a big if, if you're an active part of this fellowship, there are many of you who are, I give thanks. And if you're in the habit of counting your blessings, all right, if you're a glass half full kind of person, and not a glass half empty sort of person, right? If you're both of those things, if you're involved in the life of this fellowship, and if you're reasonably thankful, then you will have a lot to be thankful for. You will be surprised at the list of blessings that you have. Friends, this is essential Christianity 101 that Paul is doing here. None of what I've read in those verses should be new to you today if you're a follower of Christ. Might be if you're not, but if you're a follower of Christ, you should be resonating with this word. If you're here today and your life, uh, your day-to-day life is more marked out by how you live for yourself and your own pleasure, then be concerned. The Lord God sent his son. He lived and died in order that we too be transformed and increasingly conformed to his image. God is at work. That's what we mean by God being at work in the hearts and minds and souls of individuals and in his church. Jesus is not a ticket to heaven. He is not a ticket to cash in on or just on our last journey to heaven. He's not a get-out-of-jail-free card for all the wrongs that we've delighted in throughout this life. Just keep him tucked in the back pocket, you know, for when I really need him. No. The Old Testament speaks of us circumcising our hearts. In reality, though, this is something that only God can do. So put away the scalpel. All right? God can do it for you. He alone uh, can do this radical heart surgery. Powell's about to have surgery on Wednesday. But God is a surgeon extraordinaire. He will exchange our old hearts of stone, you know, those stubborn old hearts that just let us down time and again, that increasingly provide all manner of stumbling blocks for those around us. God will take those out and he'll replace them with softer, warmer hearts of flesh, we're told in scripture. Hearts that are able to soak up the love of God like a sponge. And as that divine love is pumped around our body, we become enabled to pour that love out upon others. Others who, yes, very often don't deserve it. But after all, what did we do to deserve God's grace? What did you do to deserve God's grace? Nothing, right? Otherwise it wouldn't be grace. 
That old acrostic still helps us to understand the meaning of grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. We get God's riches because of the suffering of our Saviour, the Lord Jesus, on the cross. Although the world, including us, turned our backs on him as he went to the cross, he went there alone. Okay, part of the Godhead, we could say, so he wasn't totally alone, but alone, right? All his friends abandoned him. Everyone washed their hands, like Pilate, cowering in the shadows, terrified for themselves. Jesus came and he did it for the joy set before him. He scorned the shame. He saw the vision. He knew what he wanted to accomplish in your life. Paul says in verse 3, For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. That's a quote from Psalm 69, often quoted in the New Testament unsurprisingly. Friends, the willingness of our Lord Jesus to deny himself and suffer for the benefit of others should serve not only as a joy for what he's accomplished for us, salvation, but also a great example to us as Christians as we live out a life of faith. Now, if we don't yet know Jesus then this idea of following him, of following a sacrificial example, uh, even and especially through hardships, this is not going to appeal to us very much. If we've imbibed from the world the idea that, you know, we're to have a, uh, an M&S Christmas, right, and we're to constantly pursue a better, faster car, or a bigger, less troublesome house, or more glamorous holidays if that's our if that's if that's what floats our boat then we're going to struggle to see jesus as appealing but if we've come to know his deep and abiding love then we will increasingly be willing to calmly serve others without reluctance and in the sure and certain hope that thing, these things are pleasing to God himself. The knowledge that one day we will be rewarded eternally in ways that we cannot begin to imagine, that will sustain us. That will sustain us. What do you think is sustaining our brothers and sisters in Christ in Gaza City today? I have no doubt that some of them are really facing hardship. Some of them may be losing their lives or, or hospitalised with horrendous injuries. But those who truly know and follow Christ will have his name on their lips. Amen? Friends, the world around us is obsessed by pleasure. Yet even the very rich those the world tells us ought to be the most satisfied. They frequently find that these things elude them. Since human beings are meant to find pleasure and satisfaction only in the presence 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who made us and who perfects us in his image. If you've been wondering what the secret to life is, then I've just told you. Come to Jesus. Know Jesus. Feed on God's truth, on his wisdom. If that becomes your watchword, then you will enter into pleasure. Eternal pleasure. Secondly, perseverance. Because <clears throat> it's not always that easy, is it, friends? This is the next thing that Paul wants us to grasp. The source of our endurance and encouragement through life is Jesus. God knows that we're weak vessels and that a life of sacrifice is tough. It makes us weary. So how is it that we're to be sustained? How are we to persevere? Well, if we were alone in our calling to struggle for Christ, if we had no partners in gospel ministry, if we had no testimony of the very word of God on which to stand, then understandably we could find the journey immensely difficult. Perhaps you do today. Maybe you're thinking of throwing in the towel. You certainly wouldn't be the first. But these things that I've just described, we have them for a reason. You have your brothers and sisters in Christ for a reason. You have the written word of God as a testament for a reason. Because we're to go to it often. We're to go to one another often. We are not weak who cleave to the bosom of the church, our family of faith. We are not weak when we do that. So when was the last time you shared your burdens with another there's a common phrase which says, a problem shared is a problem halved. Now that's not scriptural, but it is true. And God's word would affirm that reality. But be careful with whom you share. Make sure you choose someone who has a proven track record of discretion and reliability. Be careful not to overshare. There are many oversharers today, aren't there? Those who seem to want nothing more than to suck others into their world of despair, reveling in excuses to be miserable without much apparent desire to break free. Friends, in Christ we are free. We are free to deal with the sins and strongholds that constrain us. And so let us find brothers and sisters who will truly care for us. Yes, there are friends such as these here in this fellowship. So get to know them. And so much more could be yours. The testimony of God's word has been given and preserved for us by God. And Paul makes a great example of that today as he quotes scripture after scripture. Why do you think he's doing that? Well, I'd just like to show off my knowledge of the scriptures. No. He's doing it because the scriptures feeds his faith. 
when he looks to Christ, he sees the answer to all the promises of God. And they're there in black and white. The question to us is, do we know them? Do we know those promises? Do we believe that God has fulfilled them in Christ? And do we have Christ as our Saviour? Praise God. What does Paul say? He says that through their encouragement, the scriptures, we might have hope. The things written in former days were written for our instruction. Right? They're not just some ramblings of, you know, men three and a half thousand years ago. So we can just file it away with all the other old stuff. This is God's word, friends. The world around us continually tries to tell us that the Bible is an out-of-touch book that has nothing to say in the 21st century. Well, if we believe that, then we will miss out on the lively oracles of God. What does that mean, lively oracles of God? That's what King Charles called God's word in June. When he was crowned king over uh, the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland and all his dominions, when he was crowned, he called the Bible the lively oracles of God. Friends, it means that the Bible is alive today and it is the wisdom of God Almighty. Why on earth would we not go to Scripture first? In virtually every situation. Why would we not go to scripture first? I mean, if someone collapses and is having a heart attack, we might go to the defibrillator first, right? And one of us who's had training, hopefully, will administer it successfully with God's help. But in so many situations where there's confusion, where there's trouble and misunderstanding, why would we not go to God's word first? Gender confusion, human sexual practice, workplace ethics. Well, just go go along with the crowd. That's what everyone else is doing. Friends, God's word, God's word has spoken. God has given us clear direction. It's full of the riches of His truth. It's full of objective thought, objective thought and truth which has shaped the civilization that the world still enjoys to this day. The civilization that we are so keen not to lose, that we are so worried about losing in the 21st century. Where do you think it comes from? Yet we don't read this book as a nation. We don't hold God in honour any longer. We enjoy a standard of living today, a standard of living that is under threat precisely because as a culture we have ignored God and ditched his word. Why on earth do millions of people from around the world want to come to the West when all that is on offer today are whitewashed tombs and debauchery A great trap of materialism is swallowing the world. And the God who wants us to know true life 
and harmony and hope in his son Jesus is surely despairing as today's tide of humanity runs towards the cliff. And I'm not, just, I'm not talking about the cliffs of Dover. I'm talking about the cliff of oblivion that our Western culture, so prideful, so self-satisfied, so caught up in the pleasures of this world, fails to see the great danger that lies ahead. Friends, as Christians, we are now possessors of all we need to know, the unparalleled joy and riches that God has for us in the knowledge of the grace of Christ. So let us learn to endure. Let us learn to live in such harmony with one another, as Paul says, in accord with Christ Jesus. Do you know what that means? If we're in accord with Christ Jesus, it means that we are as one in Christ. He is the one who unites and connects us. Whatever our background, whether Jew or from the myriad Gentile ethnicities and backgrounds, however our forefathers have worshipped and defined themselves, Christ is the answer. Do you believe that today? Our identity and our worship is now focused squarely on, on the root of Jesse, the servant king, the great fulfiller of the promises of the Father, the one who gave his life for us and who now leads us onwards in his way of faith, hope and love as we persevere, serving one another and our neighbours as priests who mediate the grace of Christ. That's what Paul means when he says priests. He's not saying we need to go to the Church of Rome where they've got priests. He's not saying we need to resurrect the uh, temple in uh, Jerusalem and have the priesthood there. He's not saying that. He's saying that we, you and I and Paul, men and women, we are priests together as we mediate the grace of God in this world that needs it so much. And this is my final point, practice. In verses 15 and 16, Paul says that he writes very boldly by way of reminder, he says. By way of reminder. Uh, the church, friends, needs obvious reminders of their purpose. All right? Paul says the church of Rome needs a reminder. So I'm pretty sure we also need a reminder since the Lord has us going through Romans. What does Paul say? Because of the grace given me by God to be a servant of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. That's a wonderful mission that we have. The church is not a social club that gathers on a Sunday. We are a community of faith, a family that gets together as often as we can, at every opportunity to work and play together and to declare the wondrous Sabbath rest, the salvation of our souls that is found only in Jesus. 
those who came to the work party yesterday were indeed blessed by mutual encouragement and assistance as we labored, as we physically labored together. Children making bunting and helping adults, brothers and sisters finding tasks to progress the development and upkeep of these premises that the Lord has provided us with an eye on the future. A couple of weeks ago we celebrated the Lord's generous provision through uh, this year's harvest. It is he who swells the grain and maintains the earth's ecosystems and its weather so that we have food to eat and clothes to wear. A time of abundant provision over which we feasted together. Talking more about the church here, friends. We feasted together. We shared details of our lives, giving thanks to God for his many blessings. We welcome people from every background as we gather in order that they may hear the gospel of God. But not only hear, that they may receive through practical demonstration, through sacrificial living, living generously, not only for ourselves and our families, but for others, such as the world does not know. This is the radically different community of faith that Christ has now called us to be a part of and has in fact united us in faith through his blood. We are a part of his body. We are a part of his body now to present ourselves as living sacrifices. That is why we're here. So having received the great and unparalleled encouragements of God, having been shown the divinely inspired continuity of the scriptures, that these things have been written so that we would be encouraged and equipped, that we would be transformed, no less, into God's very own people from among every nation, tribe and tongue. The wonder of this reality is that unlike the world, the family of Christ is a true family, a functional family, not a dysfunctional one. Though I will say, not yet perfected. All right? Before you think, hold on a second, there's plenty of dysfunction. We're increasingly to answer God's call to become functional, to become healthy, to become his people. And the wonder of all this is intended by our gracious God to bring in others, to attract the lost wherever they are found, to give stubborn unbelievers no excuse for their rejection of Jesus. Isn't it masterful how Paul writes, uh, sorry, how Paul unites the Jewish and various Gentile background believers? Oh, oh, don't get me wrong. It's God who's doing that. But Paul is recognising it. Paul is telling us about it. Paul is keen for it to happen. He, he is uniting them. He puts them all on a level playing field. Yet he also acknowledges the strengths of each of them. But Paul isn't just some master diplomat. He's not just wise with words. We have seen 
and hopefully felt the challenges week by week as we've gone through his letter to the church at Rome. Uh, not, not to simply shock or lay burdens, but to bring about the fullness of the potential of Christ's church. We'll just wait for that to be turned off. Thank you, sister. So as we prepare for our 70th anniversary, where do you stand? Do you have a ministry as part of Friends Baptist Church? In what ways are you participating in the propagation, the spread of the gospel here? In what ways are you participating in the propagation, the spread of the gospel here? Is there anyone you regularly partner with to read the divinely inspired scriptures or perhaps a good Christian book to build and be built up and encouraged? If not, why not start this week? We are serious here about the priestly service of the gospel of God. We're serious because it is God's plan for the salvation of sinners like us. And we want, don't we, to share this with others. Let's bow our heads in prayer.